Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today on the podcast, the economy is driven by the fundamental principle of value, which it seems can be interchangeably related to price. And through that, we get this efficient use of resources, giving people what they need or what they want, which might be fine if everyone earned the same amount of money, but they don't. So doesn't that make the whole concept of value as the way of ensuring the allocation of resources all a bit meaningless? Well, deconstruct another fundamental of economics today. After all, it is the debunking economics podcast with Professor Steve Keane. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. Pricing is a lousy measure of value, isn't it? Because I mean, because it's the only measure we have. But you know, a rich person might buy something that's going to be of little value to them, which is of great value to a poor person who can't afford it. And yet, we argue that the market mechanism, uh, where everything has a price, ensures that we get get the best allocation of resources. But how can that be? Because you know, in that example, if it provides a means for rich people to get stuff that's of little value to them. And poor people don't get what they place a high value on. Steve, that is not the best allocation of resources, is it? Yeah, this is the weakness of the of, of the usual uh, neoclassical, and for that matter, Austrian economic fantasy that the price system is is effectively a. Um, uh, dispassionate allocator of resources to the most efficient uses, and mm. that's only true if the distribution of income itself is also the most efficient allocation of resources amongst people. And this is why neoclassicals have got the argument that uh, what you get paid reflects your marginal product. And that's the that's the additional amount you add to output of society. So, uh, within the, the, it works in the aggregate aggregate sense. That uh, but what they say is that the last uh, every every worker is equally productive in their in their models. Um, and but, but the productivity of each worker declines as you add more workers to a production process because you've got more and more people operating the machine. So you start with one, you know, you have one worker per five shovels and then you get to the stage of five workers for five shovels and then you get ten workers for five shovels. I'm, I wish I was joking, but I'm not. Uh, and, and then you have diminishing productivity because you're adding more workers to a fixed amount of capital. That's what gives them the idea of diminishing marginal productivity. And what they say is that at, at, when you work it out of the, the economic margin, if, you, if you we're looking at the aggregate level, the, the pay paid to every worker reflects the marginal product of the last worker hired. Yeah. Okay, so that's the idea. And then, of course, what, what they then take out of that is that you get paid what your social class in that sense contributes to production. So the fact that a worker gets a wage in America if you're working in um, in uh, hospitality as, a, as, a, as a, a waiter, I think it's $2.37 uh, per hour, supplemented by tips, which is the only reason you can survive as a waiter in America, uh, while the restaurant owner who might be taking home, you know, if we're, we're talking Starbucks, billions, um, that their marginal contribution is greater. 
So they have a meritocratic view of distribution of income, which is an essential part of saying that therefore the price system is a, 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 a um, socially beneficial allocator of activities between one economic sector and another economic sector. But I mean, even if you allowed for the fact that there will always be variations in income, still, for that, you know, the reason that I explained at the beginning, it, it mm. can never be an efficient mechanism for allocating because it assumes that everyone is placing the same value on something, you know, that, and that is clearly not the case. Some things are very important to some people and not important to others. So for some, it may be a frivolous need. And if they can afford to pay more for it uh, because they have so much more money, they're placing less value, but they're prepared to pay more for it. I mean, that's a, a, against the whole argument, isn't it? Well, you end up getting an income distribution and a class distribution effect on what gets purchased and what's what gets uh, produced. Mm. Uh, because, like, obviously, the supply of 200-foot-long uh, yachts is not something that you, your demand or my demand has any influence on. Well, I mean, you don't um, even need to go to that extent. You can just look now and yeah. say, well, okay, as we all return to our cafes to eat our mashed avocado with lemon uh, on a nice granary loaf with a decent cup of coffee. How does that sound, Steve? That sounds pretty good to start the day, doesn't it? But meanwhile, while we're spending money on that, we could actually be spending that money uh, on uh, putting out vaccines to uh, to, to Africa, where I think about 2% of the population has now been inoculated. So, I mean, it, it, it you know, works on a global level, doesn't it? Because I value that coffee and mashed avocado more than helping my fellow man. What a bastard yeah, um, I am. Yeah, I mean, well, well yeah, it's, it, it's something which you know, the, the, the basic idea that uh, the, the neoclassical economists pump out with their supply and demand diagram and that Austrians pump out by talking about the price system as a alli- mechanism of allocation, which they say is far better than any other mechanism. For example, the government could be, you know, there are the usual, the usual um, contrast they make between the, the price mechanism is saying, what about the government doing it? And they've got some grounds on that because uh, there are some quite funny uh, instances uh, back in the days when there was such a thing as, uh, as socialism on the planet, when you had you know, East Germany and uh, and West Germany, for example. I, I think it was Alex Nove who told the story of a um, bureaucrat from East Germany visiting West Germany and asking who was responsible for the allocation of bread. <laughs> and the answer was nobody. The market just does it. And they couldn't comprehend it because to actually get that bread produced and delivered in the East Germany involved, uh, you know, centralised production and then distribution uh, officials who had to take it to particular spots and and uh, allocation was based on your, uh, you know, what, what card you had with your Communist Party. Maybe you got a better quality of bread than the other members and so on. It was incredibly complicated and very hard to do. And this bureaucrat was run ragged doing it. And they said, well, we don't have a system. It's just the price system. So that side... That aspect of saying, well, the the price system lets you have a way that things are distributed that doesn't involve bureaucrats in in making the decisions, uh, and um, and then that that can you know if you want to contrast East German consumption levels to West German consumption levels, um, it can work out pretty damn beneficial in the, for the for the those in the market economy versus those in the mm. centrally planned and centrally distributed economy, but it's still. Um, uh, the, 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 the myths that are loaded on top of that, by the way, the neoclassicals think the price system actually operates, can only be made look perfectly socially fair if you accept the distribution of income as something that nobody objects to. Now, do you, you – I don't, don't suppose you object to Rupert Murdoch earning what he does, do you? You know, his, uh, his contribution well, it, to media, he's got a lot more newspapers than you have. 
Yeah, if only you'd use it for good rather than evil, of course. Exactly. But, yeah. <laughs> but look, the um, I mean, marketers get, you know, I spent a lot of my life in, in, in marketing. And uh, I mean, we get around this idea that everyone places a different value on things and therefore are prepared to pay a different price by hiding the fact that we are charging different prices to different people. So, you know, if you value an, an air ticket or a hotel room, uh, and, you, you know, you place a lot of value on that, but you haven't got a great deal of money. You might book months in advance because there's special offers. But if you're rich, uh, but time poor, then, you know, and you don't really care about paying top price, uh, then, uh, you know, you could book it at the last minute and you pay that top price. And it might be twice what uh, the person sitting next to you on the airplane is, is paying. Uh, and, there's well, a, you know, there's a few examples of that which you can work across a number of product types, but not all product types. So you can't differentially price bread. For example, apart from you know stuff that's left over at the end of the day, mm. you want it slightly stale. Yeah, but I mean, that that's actually what you know, analysis of price should be about. Because I mean, it is, is quite a fascinating topic how um, marketers will segment a market depending upon the income uh, capacity of, of different parts of that market. So mm. and like and, and and we may never see it again, but the mass transportation market for airlines was a was a classic example because. Um, you know, as you said, you, if you wanted to get uh, a cheap flight, then you had to lock it in very early and there was no chance to get it altered, no chance to get it upgraded, no chance to get it refunded. Uh, and then you might pay, you know, like for a flight from Australia to um, United Kingdom return, you might pay, what, £1,000? Was that about a rough for, for, for Discount, no, for economy like, discount seat? Or no, seven, seven, well, you mean 750 or something would be a, would be a good price. But there'd be yeah. like 50, 15 or 20 perhaps different fare classes yeah. on one plane because they were all, yeah. you know, sold in different ways uh, to different people at different times and, uh, you know, and hope that the people don't find out just who's got the cheapest on that plane. Yeah, well, this, in the economics talks about this. They talk, they talk about neoclassicals you know, called price discrimination and they're mm. actually against it because they argue, well, this actually means means that all of, all of what they call the, the uh, uh, consumer surplus gets taken by the producers. So the way, the way that uh, mainstream economics thinks about the, the welfare effect of pricing comes down to saying there should only be one price. Okay. Because at that one price, uh, you, have, you have the magical intersection of the supply curve and the demand curve. <laughs> and then at that, at that point, if you draw a horizontal line, which is the price, across to where you reach the intersection of supply and demand, uh, the, 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 point, the area of the triangle, if you know, draw it, they always, they always draw straight lines. They're too damn lazy to draw curved ones because, mm. frankly, it's hard, with a, it's hard with a shaky hand, isn't it? You know, to, yeah, to, too many gins for breakfast. Yeah, that sort of thing. <laughs> you can yeah. use a ruler if you're drawing a straight one. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you've got to find one. I mean, most economists are as messy as I am. I can't find a bloody ruler in this room. But anyway, they draw a straight line. So you've got a triangle above the price and a triangle below the price. And the triangle above the price, they'll say that's producer surplus. And the triangle below, oh, sorry, that's consumer surplus. And the triangle below it, they'll call producer surplus. And they, the, the reason that they want one price ruling is that you get the maximum area being shared between producers, consumers, if there's just one price. Yeah, and of course there isn't just one price, and the reason there isn't one price and the reason why marketers segment things is because they recognise that people do place a different value on different things. There can be one thing that is valued differently by many different people who are prepared to pay different prices for it. So there's another example of why this concept of price and value being inextricably linked and uh, resulting in a, the, the best allocation of resources is fundamentally flawed. 
We'll look at that further in the full version of this podcast. To listen in full, you need to become a supporter of Steve Keen on Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash Prof Steve Keen, or you can become a subscriber at debunkingeconomics.com, and then you'll get access to the full version of this podcast and 250 or so other podcasts. We're doing this for a few years now. There's a bit of a back catalogue, uh, so go back and listen to some of those too. I'm Phil Dobby. He's Steve Keen. Back again next week. Thanks for listening. 